here for the first time, I want to welcome all who are watching online. And if you're watching online for the first time, I want to welcome you as well. It's um, so good to be a part of the family of God. And we go through different seasons together. There's been prayer of, of lament this morning. We get to uh, gather and worship the Lord. We have got flowers here from Wendy Mills Memorial Service yesterday. And so we're a church that mourns together, a church that hears God's words together here, a church that gets to at different times rejoice and, um, and, and walk through all the different seasons of life together. So it's good to be gathered in uh, this morning on the Lord's Day. And before we go into the, the sermon, I want to give you uh, a little bit of, uh, of information to really share my heart with you for what we're going to be doing in the next series. Uh, beginning next Sunday and for eight Sundays, uh, Lord willing, we're going to go through a series in the book of Ecclesiastes. Why would we go through the book of Ecclesiastes? Sometimes people find the book to be confusing um, or, or discouraging. But here's, here's sort of the, 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 the backdrop. We live in the city of the overcommitted, right? We live amongst a people who are highly educated, wealthy, and driven to succeed in everything from college to business to the military to even kids' sports. So what happens when you pursue all those things and they don't deliver? What happens when those things don't satisfy? What happens when the good life doesn't come through as promised? What happens when success or pleasure or sex or money or nice houses and prosperous businesses still leave you feeling empty. Ecclesiastes puts it this way, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? What do you gain? Well, that's the invitation from the writer of Ecclesiastes to come with him and join him as he explores all of these different paths in a quest for satisfaction. This ancient book couldn't be more contemporary. It speaks right into our modern world and it explores life, as he says it, under the sun, which means life apart from God, just living life as though there were no God in this world. And he exposes over and over how that pursuit ultimately proves to be empty. Only life lived with God at the center brings the satisfaction and the joy that every person longs for. So this is going to be great for us as a church because we live in a world filled with lies. There are seductive lies, siren songs to find life and meaning in pleasure, in materialism, in success. And this book wonderfully exposes the lies that are there and reminds us that we can only find real satisfaction in God. But I, church, I really want to encourage you. This is a series that will be great, not only for us, but for unbelievers. People who are in pursuit of satisfaction in all the wrong places. This is a book that will speak to people who've tasted some of the emptiness and bitterness of life under the sun. So I want to ask you, Who might God have brought into your life right now for a series such as this? Is there someone you could consider inviting to come with you to hear about the 
emptiness of life under the sun and the hope of life found in God. So that's what's coming in Ecclesiastes, and I'm really looking forward to that. This morning, we come to the end of our series in Genesis 1 to 3. We've called it Origins. And um, what we've been looking for is what we call a theological anthropology. What does that mean? We've been looking for a God-centered understanding of what it means to be a human being. And in summary, what we've found is the key for us is that we have been created in the image of God. To be a human being at its core means to be made in the image of God. The imago Dei is the Latin phrase that sometimes gets used. So this morning, we come to the last in the series, and we're going to look at the topic of rest, Sabbath rest. God has made us to live in a rhythm of work and rest. And so to understand what that looks like and how that works out, we're going to start in Genesis 2, then we're going to skip forward to Exodus 20, and we're also then going to drop into Hebrews chapter 4. And so Dennis Wishmeyer is going to read the word for us this morning. Thank you, Dennis. So we'll start off with Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Exodus 20, 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to you, Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Hebrews 4, 9 through 11. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Thank you, Dennis. Let's pray. Oh God, you're the creator of time, work and rest. And our times are in your hands. This time is in your hands. And we pray that you would speak through your word and enable us to enter your rest. Teach us what it means to rest from our works, to look to you and rest in the finished work of Christ in the midst of a city that doesn't know how to rest. Teach us to rest for the glory of God, we pray. Amen. So as the topic of rest and work come up here, I know that there's a range of experiences in a room like this. Some of you may be retired and not working in in that sense anymore. Some of you may be on summer break from school. Some of you are moms uh, or single parents And you think, I don't even know what rest means because my work is never done. Some might be looking for a job. Um, Some might think, I don't actually like to work at all. I really love rest and do that probably too much. And so 
we've, we've got these different experiences, but we're going to focus this morning not so much on work as, as we are on rest. And the reality is rest doesn't always find a lot of popular support. Benjamin Franklin long ago said, there will be plenty of time to sleep when you're dead. A popular variation today, you can rest when you're dead, right? You may have heard that slogan. And the reality is that those are good slogans for the city that we live in. Cities have different flavors. Cities have different cultures. And part of the culture of, of, of our city is we do live um, uh, in the city of the overcommitted. We live in the city of the overworked. And the reality is we are more than workers, right? We're not machines. We are made in God's image. And that means living in a rhythm of both work and rest. What we need is not so much work-life balance as work-rest balance. Because work is life and rest is life. And so we need to learn how these things work together. We need to find rest both for body and for soul. And so Jesus comes saying, come to me and I will give you rest. Hebrews calls us to strive to enter that rest, which is a bit of an odd phrase, but it works out truly. Strive to enter the rest that is in Christ. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at the pattern of rest in Genesis 2, the command to rest in Exodus 20, and the gift of rest in Hebrews 4. And then we're going to say, okay, how do we do it? Like, what, what can this look like? So let's start with God's word to us back in the beginning in Genesis chapter 2, the seventh day. So here's the situation. God, on the scene in the beginning of Genesis 1, the, the, the world was formless, empty, and dark. But now through the work of creation, orderly and filled with life and light and overflowing and, and, and teeming with, with birds and plants and, 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 and so on. So now what? Well, now on the seventh day, it says, when God finished the work he had done, he rested. Verse 1 of chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. All the host of them finished. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested. He rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God, two things, note this. He blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done. Now, what does this mean? Well, the word rest here, the verb rest, is the verb from which we get the word Shabbat, which you may be familiar with. That's a Hebrew word that means Sabbath or seventh day. Uh, The Sabbath is the seventh day because it's the day of rest. It literally means ceasing. God did the work of creation and then he ceased from that work. Why? Why does God rest on the seventh day? You've fallen on the couch exhausted after a day of work. Is that what's happening here? No, God is not exhausted. God's never been exhausted. God will never be exhausted. He, he, and, and, you know, sometimes when we make things, we can kind of get it going, but then it needs some maintenance, right? Things don't work out the way, it, the way we plan. But God's work isn't like that. Like, he doesn't need to go do some repairs in this galaxy because things aren't working out quite the way he planned. God's rest is different than ours. This is the rest of achievement, not exhaustion. It's the, it's the culmination. If you read through the account of creation, at the end of each day, he looks over what he's done. He says, it was good. It was good. It was good. After the sixth day, it was very good. 
And so then we come into this seventh day and it would seem that in this day when he rests after finishing the work, it would seem that God is enjoying what he's made. He's enjoying the very good and the completion of it. It seems that he's celebrating the perfection of the universe. One commentator says, this describes the enjoyment of accomplishment, the celebration of completion. So I want you to notice three things about this day of rest. First, he sets up this six plus one rhythm of work and rest. This pattern will show up again later. We'll see when we get to Exodus 20. But we also, there's hints here that there's more going on than just something for God because it says he blessed it and made it holy. That would seem to indicate that he's setting this day apart and blessing it so that others can enter into his joy with him in this day. So made in his image, human beings will learn to rest as God rests. And you may wonder, but how can I do that? Because God finished what he was doing and my work is never done. Right? Which one of us can say, I've done absolutely 100%, completed everything, and now I can sit down and read. We know there's always more to do. So how does this work? Well, I think what we'll see is this is an invitation not to rest because all of our work is done. It's an invitation to set aside our work and rest because all of his work is done. And we enter into the perfections of God's rest. We'll see that in creation And we'll see that in redemption. And there is some mystery here. That's the third thing I want to just highlight. We don't know exactly what Adam and Eve did with this. Did they understand that they were to be in this rhythm of six plus one rest? When did people begin to observe the seventh day rest? We don't have any record of that happening until Exodus 20. And so let's go now to Exodus 20. So we've seen there's a pattern of rest. Now when we get to Exodus 20, here is a command, an explicit command to rest. This is the fourth of the Ten Commandments. It's actually more said about this commandment than uh, any of the others. He says in verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath, a rest, a ceasing to the Lord your God On it you shall not do any work. Now, I want you to notice, again, let's notice three things here. First, the six plus one pattern, it returns. What we saw in Genesis 2, we now see in Exodus 20. And so this rest is anchored in God's work and rest in creation. So being in the image of God means learning how to live in this six plus one pattern, this pattern of rhythm and rest, because that's how God reveals himself to us. We also want to notice, the second thing I want you to notice here is there's not just this this six plus one pattern, but this is a rest for the whole person, body and soul. This is very important because lots of people don't get this part about how rest works today. So with our bodies, it's literally a ceasing from whatever your work is that you do for those six days, you stop from that work. You shall not do any work. This sets up a boundary against overworking. Remember in the, in the creation, he says to the, to the water, this far you can come and no farther. Well, I, I, 
the Sabbath rest is saying to work this far you can come and no farther. So maybe we just pause here and ask, can you do that? Can you stop? Can you stop working? Can you say no? Or are you a slave to work? Does it rule you? It's interesting that in Deuteronomy 5, the other account of the Ten Commandments, there's an extra verse in this fourth commandment that's inserted there. And he says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Do you see the connection with slavery? What he's saying is, look, you were slaves in Egypt and you couldn't say, I'm not going to work. Because you were slaves. You had to work. But now you've been set free to rest. And you didn't do this for yourselves. God brought you out so that you can come into a place of rest. So there's this physical rest. There's a boundary for work. There's also an aspect of this that's for the soul, for the inner life. I love that it says in Exodus 20, this is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. This isn't just some random ritual or rule. This is an act of worship. It's a Sabbath to the Lord. So to rest from work is an act of faith. Sabbath rest teaches us to trust ultimately not in our labors, but in God, that he brings us out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, that he's the Lord of time. He's the Lord of supply, and it doesn't all depend on, on us. This will become the day for Israel to gather for worship. This is why synagogues still meet on Saturday. Saturday is the seventh day in that week. It's the Shabbat. It's the day of ceasing. So this becomes a day in the life of Israel to remember God's work of creation, to remember his work of redemption since they couldn't rest like this when they were slaves in Egypt, and since God set them free, God has broken their enslavement to greed and to fear and to being workaholics. Third thing I want you to notice here is this is a marker for the nation. Keeping the Sabbath becomes a vital part of being part of the nation of Israel, and it sets them apart and makes them different from all the other nations. It's the only one of the Ten Commandments that doesn't carry explicitly over into the new covenant that Christ comes to make with us. And so Christians have disagreed over the, the years about what exactly to do with the fourth commandment. How do we apply this into our lives? There are some who say, well, we do this. It says keep this command, and so we should keep this command. We should do it just like it says here, and we'll do it on the, on the seventh day. And so you have Seventh-day Adventists who meet for worship on the seventh day because that's a direct application of this. Others recognize that when Jesus came, there was a fulfillment of the law and changes came about in how we read and respond to what we find in the Old Testament. We also notice that the church slowly uh, uh, moved away from meeting for worship on the seventh day and they began to meet on the first day. Why? What happened on Sunday morning? That's when Jesus rose from the dead. And so the Sabbath worship for the Christians over time begins to shift to the Lord's Day worship. That's why we've gathered here on Sunday, on the first day of the week. It's in celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so that then begins to alter and, and shape 
uh, how we respond to these commands. And so for some, they say, okay, well, we still have a Sabbath to keep. It's still a strict, no work, 24-hour period. And so there are uh, many Christians around the world and throughout uh, church history that take Sunday as the, the Christian Sabbath. And it looks a lot like what uh, this practice would have been in Exodus 20. Uh, another approach, which is how we've practiced and understood things here, is that we do worship on the first day because it's the Lord's day. It's the day of the resurrection. And we seek to find rest in Christ every day. There's a Sabbath rest that, that's wider than that first day. And so we'll look more at that in a moment when we get to Hebrews 4. The issues get complex here and there's an article that'll be attached to the email that goes out as a follow-up to this if you'd like to look more into that. So we've seen there's a pattern of rest that God establishes in creation. We've seen there's a command to rest that comes to Israel in the old covenant. Now we're going to see how this is all fulfilled in Christ. Back to Hebrews chapter 4, please. Hebrews chapter 4, I want you to hear these words again. Verse 9, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Are you the people of God? Okay, there remains a Sabbath rest for you. What is it? What is it? There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Now, what is this Sabbath rest? What are we talking about here? If you'd asked an Israelite in the first century, where do you find rest? I think they would have pointed in two directions. What would they have been? Rest in the Sabbath day, right? Sun, Saturday. And rest in the promised land. Because when Israel was out of Egypt in the wilderness, it was promised to them that when they got into the land of promise, it would be a land of rest. They would have rest from their enemies in that land. That's why the exile was such a disaster because they were ejected from the land of rest, the place of rest. And so they had in mind that rest was tied up in a day and in a place. So what happens then is that when Jesus comes along, the author of Hebrews picks up those strands of rest on that day and rest in that place. And he says, there's a, there's a rest that gets fulfilled in Jesus that's a little different than, 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 than what they would have been experiencing back there in Israel. The situation for this letter, you need to understand what's going on. As this writer is writing to the, the, the church that's the, known as the Hebrews, what's happening here is the people in this church have started out on a journey following Jesus. But it's gotten tough. They're experiencing resistance and persecution. And some of them are losing their confidence in Christ and are da in danger of abandoning their faith in Christ and turning back. So the writer says, hey, you know what? There was another group of people that was in a similar situation. There were people that left Egypt following God, rescued and redeemed by him. They were out in the wilderness and it got hard. They were on a journey to the promised land, but they hadn't gotten there yet. And so those people out in the desert had a choice. Trust God's promises and follow him by faith or abandon him and die in the desert. And you know, sadly, the story is almost all of them abandoned God and died in the desert. So this writer is saying, 
Look, church, don't make that same mistake. Don't fall by that same sort of disobedience. Don't give up what God has given you and promised you in Christ. This church is in danger of that same kind of unbelief. And he says, don't abandon the Sabbath rest that God has given. There remains a Sabbath rest for you, the people of God. Strive to enter that rest. Now, what is, he, what is that rest? What does it look like for this church in trouble to live in the good of and enter into over and over that Sabbath rest? Remember on the seventh day, God had finished his work and rested in enjoyment of it. Do you know what's in view? What finished work is in view in the letter to the Hebrews? Not the work of creation, but the work of redemption. Having made purification for sins, one of the first things the writer tells us in chapter one, what did Jesus do? He sat down. Why? Because the work was finished. There was not one more thing needed to be done to make purification for sins. Not one. No more sacrifices, no more offerings, no good deeds, nothing else needed to be done. Jesus sat down because that work was finished. And Jesus says to people like you and me, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you, what's he say? Rest. Hmm. What's he talking about? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly heart, and you will find something for your souls. What could that be? Rest. Sabbath rest. See, Jesus comes to deliver us from the toil and the weariness of life east of Eden. When Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter 3, rejected God's loving rule and authority over their lives and stepped out to become their own authority, do you know what they did? They brought on themselves not only guilt and shame, they brought on themselves the crushing obligation to make themselves something. They needed a way to prove that they were good people, that they were worthy people, that they were people of significance. They stepped away from God and now all the pressure and the responsibility of saying, I am something, I am someone, has to come from them. And nobody can live under that crushing weight. Do you know that inner turmoil, that inner sense of, am I really something? Am I really significant? Do I really matter? Have I really lived a good life? I was just thinking, I, I don't know that I've seen a better picture of this in a movie than Saving Private Ryan, this Memorial Day weekend. Private Ryan was an older man at the end of the movie, and he visits the grave of Captain Miller. Captain Miller had been sent on a rescue mission to, to get Ryan out of World War II of Europe because his, all his brothers had died and he needed to be rescued. And Captain Miller died rescuing Ryan. So now as an older man, 
Ryan is standing there in front of Captain Miller's grave. And as he stands there, he turns to his wife and he says, tell me I've lived a good life. Tell me I'm a good man. I've never been a soldier. I've never been in combat. I know there are things going on in a soldier like that that I'll never be able to fully appreciate. But on this Memorial Day weekend, that scene strikes me as so powerful because I think those things go on in all of us. Tell me I've led a good life. Tell me I am someone. Tell me I matter. Tell me I'm significant. And I wonder if Ryan isn't speaking for that yearning in every human heart to hear, yes, you are. And his wife says that to him. Yes, you have. But as I think about that, I think how much more powerful the gospel word to us. That yearning for significance starts with hearing from God, no, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I fall short, you fall short. We know that. We feel that and God acknowledges that and speaks truthfully about us. I wonder how many people are slaves to work for exactly this reason. Trying to satisfy that inner sense of significance through work and work and work. But it's the gospel that sets us free. Christ offers a single sacrifice for all time and then he sits down. Oh, I love that. There is no better news than that. And now those who come to God through Christ find that God is completely satisfied with you because you are in him. Are you a Christian? Do you know this about yourself? Do you know that Jesus calls you? He's, These are my brothers and sisters. Do you know that God, because you're in Christ, says of you, I'm your God and you are my people. I'm as satisfied with you as I am with my son. You are in him. Now, you're free to work and rest because you don't have to obtain acceptance and significance with the person who matters most. It's already been given freely through Christ. Isn't that good news? You can say amen. That is good news. We can find Sabbath rest in our hearts. Do you matter? Are you significant? Are you someone? You are because you are in Christ. And his work is finished. So, my brothers and sisters, consider Jesus Christ. Look to Jesus Christ. Rest in Jesus Christ. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And that rest is available to you now. Do you know this? Do you believe this? Have you come into the good of this? Press into this if you haven't. And that rest, that Sabbath rest in our souls, 
it's begun, but it's not complete because we still live in a world of trouble, a world of just awful angst and sadness and sin and grief, toilsome work, but those days are numbered. Christ will come back and our wilderness experience will end and we'll be in the promised land, in a place of rest forever. That's what Christ has come to make possible. So, pattern of rest seen in creation, command to rest seen in the fourth commandment, and a gift of rest that comes from Christ. What do we do with this? How do we work this out? How do we keep this Sabbath rest? Well, let's just start by saying this. It's hard, isn't it? Right? It's really hard to do this. Why? Well, some of it is seasons. Some of you are in seasons where you're like, I would love to be able to rest. I have no idea how that's even going to be possible in this season of my life. Starting a company, single parent, grandparent with taking care of little kids, all, all kinds of diff- different roles we're in. You know what else makes it difficult to rest like this? Guilt. I've never done enough. I should have done more. Why didn't I get that done? Why didn't I say this? Why did I say that? Jobs. Jobs are more insecure than they ever have been. There's more turnover and change in the job market than there, than there ever has been. Technology. Technology is great and not so great, right? It's great. You can work anywhere. Not so great. That means you can work everywhere. And you're always working because you're always connected. So it's hard to rest. It's hard to rest if you confuse leisure with rest. There's a difference between taking a vacation or doing something that's recreational and actually being refreshed and restored in this kind of rest. I don't know how many times I've had the experience of thinking, I'm tired, I'm going to watch TV. And when I'm done watching TV, you know what happens? I'm still tired, right? It did not refresh me. It was not the right kind of rest. So it's difficult. Let's acknowledge that. What can it look like? Let me just give you a a couple thoughts about this. First is this, learn to rest in Christ every day. There's an everyday aspect to this Sabbath rest. So we draw near to him. And if if you're in a busy season of life that you may not be able to go spend an hour meeting with God in some formal way, but you can call out to him. You can uh, uh, play worship music. You can, we, we can lift our souls up to him. And so we ground our lives in Christ. We remember who he is and what he's done for us so that his work is always bigger in our minds than our work that's yet to be done and still needing to be done. We want to learn how to rest in Christ and hear that, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and live in the good of that day by day. How, how can you tell if you're learning how to rest in Christ? Well, I think one test is what happens when you lose something. I'm not talking about lose your car keys, but you lose your spouse, you lose your health, you lose your job, you lose a parent, you lose your financial security. What happens when those things happen? If that threatens you to the core, you haven't found the rest that's available in Christ. Because when you find that rest in Christ, it may hurt to lose those things, but it doesn't threaten who you are. You can deal with it. Because who you are is fundamentally not changed. You're still a child of God. So learn to rest in Christ every day. 
But also find rhythms of rest for your body and your soul. There's a, there's a daily part of this and there's a rhythm part of this. That, that six plus one rhythm, there's wisdom for us in learning how to work and then having a day set aside to rest. When I was in college, I figured out that it would be good for me. I started thinking about these kinds of things. And so Saturday night dinner to Sunday night dinner, I proclaimed I was going to take a Sabbath and I just set school aside and I would hang out with friends and I would go to church on, 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 on Sunday mornings and it became a very life-giving, strengthening practice for, for my soul. And I want to encourage you to find what, whatever your life looks like. Look for the provision. God might be making ways for you to have reg, regular rest on a weekly basis and bigger chunks of rest if possible on a yearly basis. And thank you as a church for Kenneth uh, Moresco's about to start on his sabbatical. I'm grateful to be as a pastor, a part of a church where pastors can have a, a, a bigger chunk of sabbatical of, of, of rest. And I hope that that serves the church as we come back from having those times uh, rejuvenated to serve you and serve the Lord with you. I want to encourage you to, to study yourself and figure out what's refreshing to you. What refreshes your body and what refreshes your soul? Hobbies and recreation can be helpful and, 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 in, in, in these things, and some th- things will be more helpful than, than, than others. I have a job where I talk to people and think a lot, and so I find it helpful to have a, a hobby. I like to do woodworking out in my garage. I like to go running. So those are things that are really different than sort of my, my work life, but we're all made differently. I want to encourage you to, to find ways to... to uh, uh, have your body and soul restored. And some of that includes contemplation. Some of that includes uh, Godward activity. Some of that includes hobbies and recreation. And some of it just means just plain stopping. Just take a nap. Be quiet. Turn the phone off. One of our kids, when our kids were grown and coming over for dinner regularly before they moved away, one of them said, let's do the phone basket. So we had a phone basket. So when we'd sit down for dinner, everybody's phone goes in the basket and the basket goes in the other room so that we're resting from all that communication and all that connectivity. I want to encourage you to make the Lord's Day gathering a priority and build your week around this day. That's part of the rhythm of Sabbath rest is building the, 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 the life that we have around gathering with the saints on the Lord's Day to be refreshed and to be with the people of God. It's not easy to, 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 to do these things um, and the world that we live in um, doesn't make it any easier. The world that we live in used to have more of a rhythm of Sunday rest than it does now. But our society's changing. Used to be lots of stores were closed, lots of jobs were, were, would stop on, on weekends or at least on Sundays. But now more and more birthday parties planned on Sunday mornings, kids sports on Sunday mornings. And so making the, the, the worship service, the Lord's Day gathering a priority requires more intentionality and sometimes more sacrifice than it used to. But once a week, the church gathers to remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead to together enter into this Sabbath rest. We come together to sing, to hear the word, to share the sacraments, to give offerings, to pray, to encourage one another. And this is worth prioritizing and worth planning and and doing the work to, to be able to gather together. And it's a joy each Sunday to be able to do that with you. The last thing I'd suggest is, you know, community is really helpful in figuring out how to do Sabbath rest. 
Maybe it would be helpful to get together with people who are in similar situations as you, whether that's kind of stage of life like parenting or maybe that's kind of work. Maybe you're in the military or you're in the tech industry or whatever. Maybe you can look for people that are in similar stations in life and brainstorm together. What can Sabbath rest look like for us in the situations that we're in? And, and pursuing some accountability with that can be helpful as well. Beloved, we have a Sabbath rest available to us in Christ. There remains for you a Sabbath rest in Christ. So let us strive to enter that rest. Amen? Okay.